1: John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and one hundred and five oh AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. We've got Mr. Dave Martino. I'm here. You're here, back from hey, Karate. It. There you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Hong Kong That's right. You know, non-classical those... kung fu. Un... <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> well, is. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Jeet Kune Kundo. Bruce Lee's Jeet, uh, Jeet Kune Kundo concepts. You're not know allowed to swear on it. You know? <laughs> and Filipino kali. Is that like food? No. It's not like, a it's... <laughs> or Some it's like getting hit with sticks all night. That's kind what... of. <laughs> uh, that's kind of getting aroused here a little oh. Well, you know. <laughs> I like being hit by sticks a little bit. Well. It's that, that, into that beating thing, you know. Thing, you know, crazy. I guess I am. <laughs> well, the week continues now. Today we keep on going, and uh, today we've got an author. This newest book is called "All Who Wonder, and it's Mr. Joe Clifford. So, thank you for being here, Joe.
0: Thanks for uh, having me. It's
1: always fun to do this. Yeah, well, we haven't had you yet, but
0: well, I mean, talking crap made to the <laughs> air, and all those fancy grad school words that I paid two hundred thousand dollars to learn and not make any money at. Uh, it's fun to do that.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk about you. So, how did you? Um get into this world of writing? You've written several books, so what exactly led you into this uh, world? Uh, besides the mental illness? Um, um, yeah. yeah <laughs> I, you know, I, I
0: think, you know, you know, do we seek out our careers? Do they seek out us out? I'm, you know, as is, is my uh, former professor, Tom Hizuka, a brilliant writer in his own right, once said, I'm not cut out for the nine-to-five, and I learned that very early on. I'm just not wired to do nine-to-five. I can't, and, and I know a lot of people are like, Going to listen to me like I don't want to do it either. It's not like I don't want to. It's uh, you know within a week I'll be fired. I just don't have the temperament to to listen. I don't have the uh, the bandwidth to, to follow orders or be you know you know I just can't do it. It's just not who I am. So you have to find a way to kind of exist outside of that uh, societal construct, which is pretty much how most of the of the world runs. Um, as an artist. You know, there's real no, there's no real direct path to being an artist. Uh, my, my my friend, Judge Peter Bush, who I teach up with a, at a book passage, said that uh, about being a judge, and I love it because it, it's really true. You sort of you sort of stumble into it. You know, I'm not sure at eight years old you can map out a path to be an artist. I mean, I guess you can. I guess Brett Easton Alice wrote his first book when he was 19, and I, I know Franz Nicolay, who's, who's a musician. Uh, who I interviewed a while ago said his plan was always be a musician and he just, you know, started studying and, and just made that happen. Most of the artists I know sort of just find their way into it. Uh, usually it's a, a series of failed enterprises, realizing what you can't do, realizing you have a, a creative streak and something to say and a need. And that's, that's paramount is the need to say it. Um, and that's all that's really in your control after that you know, the publishing and success and who's going to read your book, you know, those are things you have to kind of relinquish the control over, which is, which is a strange dichotomy, right? We're, we're, we're controlling our environs and we're we're creating these worlds where we are quite literally gods of these creations. And then you have to step back and and see how the world receives it. So yeah, I ended up going, you know, a crooked, crooked road down a one-way street, uh, you know, and uh, And I ended up here,
1: well, so what kind of writer would you consider yourself? like how would you if someone says uh, met you and said, "What do you write what What would you say to them? Well,
0: like a kid who makes his own nickname, I feel bad saying this, but I always wanted to be called a rock and roll writer. I, uh, I started out as a musician. I um, have a band The wandering Jews. We're still recording. We're still uh, Franz Nikolai, who I just mentioned actually played keyboards on the last record um, and uh, and I uh, you know a heart. If I had to pick the one writer more instrumental than any other writer, you know, including all the novelists, it would be Bruce Springsteen. I was raised on Springsteen up in the East Coast. Uh, Springsteen could consolidate an entire book uh, down to two lines, you know, remember all the movies, Terry, we'd go and see trying to learn how to walk like the heroes we thought we'd someday be in after all this time to find we're just like all the rest. I mean, I write an entire book, it takes me 300 pages to write that. So I've always tried to infuse that spirit of rock and roll, uh, into my books. I think being a musician also is, is granting me a certain musicality. There's a cadence to the language, cadence to the, you know, the syntax, the rhythm, there's beats, they're an internal beats, you know, you got know, that fun stuff like alliteration and illusion and, 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 uh, symbionts. But you also have to, you know, at the heart. It's a story. I mean, you're telling a story, and people all that other stuff is the window dressing that, that we as writers like to do. We're telling a story, and, and the story we're telling is the same story I was telling when I was playing rock and roll. It's the same story I, 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 I told when I was painting, and it's the same story I, I tell now as, as a writer. And that's, you know, about the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the, the voices for the voiceless. You know, I spent 10 years uh, as a homeless uh, heroin addict in the 90s. And it was a a vital, imperative experience for me because I was somebody who came from a very nice, uh, upper-middle-class town where everyone looked the same and thought the same and believed the same. And if you were different, uh, that was your problem. And I needed that experience to learn empathy. Empathy has to be taught, right? Empathy has to to be experienced. We can teach sympathy, but empathy you have to experience. And so that that experience of, of living you know, going from having, you know, a roof in my head and, and, and parents who paid for things to all of a sudden being, you know, eating out of a dumpster and sleeping under a bridge uh, taught me uh, one of life's most valuable lessons, um, you know, be kind and, and try to uh, understand that everybody's fighting a battle, you know, nothing about, that's that's a struggle I fight daily because I also still have, at heart, I have that, uh, you know, that East Coast kind of cynicism and, and, and greediness and sort of... Uh, I don't know what you'd call it. And there's definitely a difference between the East and the West's coasts. Uh and uh, you know, that's the battle that I've always got going on inside me, part Bill Burr and part uh you know, I want to say Shaman, but like,
1: Bruce Springsteen, so he's the singer? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did you hear did you hear his interview on Howard Stern? Everyone
0: asks me that, you know, and I haven't gone and I have I missed it the first time and I haven't gone back and I have this weird thing where it's if I miss but where I miss something the first time I, I, I'm reluctant to go back because I feel like I missed the moment and I know I should because everyone keeps telling me how fantastic it is uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'll get around to it I'm mostly just kicking myself for missing it you know, uh, live um, uh, there's no excuse for me to have missed it it's just...
1: Uh, to your room Yeah, yeah to your room <laughs> yeah. right. Bad boy now, We'll be
0: listening to East Street Radio on Sirius as I bring boys to school and I must stop the middle of Springsteen songs and like Boys, just listen to the story. The, I mean, the stories he tells, especially in the, in the segues of growing up or, you know, the, the start of Independence Day, uh, the river, certainly. Um, you know, it's just, it's good. It's as good a storyteller he gets. He, he can do a turn of phrase and he can do uh, the twist in the end. And God, I mean, yeah, just, and I was fortunate enough a few years ago to get to do a, an anthology based on his songs. We actually got permission from Bruce. Uh, John's, John John Landau was CC on the, the the correspondence, which was pretty awesome. We got Dennis Lahane, who went to FIU, where I graduated, who was uh, generous enough to donate a story, and uh, you know the proceeds went to, to the Bob Woodruff Foundation, uh, you know to help veterans, and uh, that was another highlight of my career to just you know take Springsteen lyrics and Springsteen songs. And, and make a book out of it and, and get some wonderful, wonderful writers to contribute to that. So so
1: what do you, what do you find the difference between when you're writing a song, let's say, and the lyrics and how you write a song compared to how you write a book? Of course, the book has a lot more to it and there's more detail and stuff, but what's the biggest difference for you?
0: It's going to sound weird. Is being a, being a writer, it should sound like words would be paramount to a song, but the cool thing about rock and roll is you can get away with rhyming car and bar. Um, Words more often than not get in the way of a song. So the words in the music, it's a very symbiotic relationship. You want to have the best lyrics possible. You know, I, I think the best lyricist in rock is probably Roger Waters, probably one of the worst human beings uh, around, the, one of the best lyricists, certainly for an angry 16-year-old boy, which is when the, the wall came out, for me at least. Um, but, you know, you also, you know, look at probably his best written record in terms of lyrics is, is The Dark Side of the Moon. And those are very simple words. They're, they're, not, they're not overly convoluted. They're not overly complex. Uh, they're simple concepts. Uh, and, and they're, you know, you want to, and right, this is probably sounds a little pretentious, but you go back to the, the, the preface to the lyrical ballads and William Wordsworth's uh, The Language Really Used by Men. Um, and I think you can get away with that more in rock and roll. Um, you can kind of be the replacement and say, I'm skipping school because when they were writing those songs, <laughs> They were literally skipping school, uh, and, and and I think that comes across to an audience. Uh, Whereas you get, you know, and some more pretentious lyrics. You know, you're you're kind of not to bash Neil Pierre, who's you know died, and it's a great drummer, but probably one of my least favorite lyricists, just because he was so overwrought and it was so you know overwritten and, and kind of slogged down, and some slogging down music, but um, yeah. Anyway, so I think I think yeah, you can simplify more with lyrics and with books. You know, you have three hundred. words. All you have is the words. You don't have any music, boy. The the message, so you can't have that catchy beat. You know, can kind I of dance to it? Uh, you got you've got the words, and, and the words can't hide. Uh, music gives you a little bit of uh, you know, a little bit of cloaking, subterfuge, I guess.
1: All who wonder. So, what's the premise of this book?
0: Uh, well, the premise is, is a, a, a 20-year-old girl, Brooke Mulpehy, uh who comes from a small town in Massachusetts Doesn't get along with her, her father, has a new baby brother, and, uh, half-brother, who's introduced when her estranged mother comes back into town saying she's dying and to please take care of her new son, and uh, the new son, Robert, Bobby, and Brooke don't get along, and they were very short four-year relationship before Brooke goes missing, and her body's never found. It's it's, it's many years later, 25 years later, I think. And uh, Robert is now Bobby. He's a, a professor of simple engineering at a prestigious university. He's, he's receiving an award. But before he receives the award, he gets a visit from a young lady who claims to be his missing half-sister Brooke's daughter born nine months after she disappeared. And that's the premise of the book. And that's how the book starts. Of course, it gets, uh, it gets weirder and wilder. Most of my books are in the cold. Uh, New England, uh, once in a while, I'll break out and go down to Southern California and go with my next book and moth the flame. But I I like the cold and I like the mountains and I like the Northeast. I grew up there and, and, you know, it's just, it's so fundamental to who I am. It also speaks to I think, you know, what what I see my characters going through, where you have this sort of hard-scrabble existence, You know, everything in the cold is, you know, you have to scrounge for sustenance, you have to dig for food, you have to sort of layer up to just go outside. I mean, the wind hurts your face. Uh, And and there's something about that that element that appeals to me when writing.
1: Yeah, everyone likes to be hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I long for it, (laughs) but... So it, it, now your characters, how would you describe your characters or your relationship with your characters, I should say, because we should find out really how you come to have these characters and, what, and how you interact with them. Yeah, it's funny, you
0: know, perception versus reality, how I would describe my characters versus how they are received. I, I probably received the word in reviews, uh, the phrase unlikable more than any other writer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I guess maybe they are, I'm like, I, 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 was fortunate enough to uh, interview Russell Banks a while back when I was at FIU and he described his characters as wounded. And I love that. And if you haven't read affliction, which is, you know, the greatest, uh, cold mountain book ever written. And God, if I could, you know, you just, if you haven't read affliction, don't forget my books, put down everything and read affliction. It is, it is just masterful. Uh, but I love that wounded, and and most of the people I know are wounded, and, and and it's maybe because I came from where I came from in the 90s, and the people I met, you know, it's very difficult when you when you meet a drug addict who's a father, right? And you say that to somebody, and they're like, well, that's obviously a terrible father. But I knew these people, and these fathers and mothers who were yes addicted to drugs and doing bad things, and they were not 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 saying not not applauding their <laughs> lifestyle, but they still loved their kids. And, and that's a really hard concept for people who haven't lived that way to understand. Because you hear drug abuse and you think immediately parental abuse, and take those kids out of there. And I'm not saying the kids shouldn't be out of there. I'm not saying they should be in there. I'm just saying I knew these fathers and I knew these mothers, and they still loved their kids. They were wounded, flawed, deeply damaged people, but they loved their kids the same way I love mine. Um, and 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 to see that, you know, that's the story I want to tell. Or the, the story. Of the wounded who are doing the best they can with what they got, and maybe it's not a good enough effort for most, but it's the best they can do.
1: How do you get readers to warm up to flawed characters? Do you do you have a uh, like a technique to kind of um, get them to understand uh, the, the the better side of, of these uh, people that you're creating? Yeah, I mean,
0: you mean you start with your ordinary world. You start with showing them in their in their environment, and you show them with their, uh, their uh, you know, favorable characteristics and, and doing kind things. There is, a, a, I've, I've come to accept, a certain faction of readership, um, and this isn't to, to knock anybody, it's just a matter of taste, but there are some people who simply do not like a book unless you have likable characters. And there, there's a good percentage of people, just like the good percentage of people who won't read a book that has got swearing, they don't like sexual content, they don't like this. They don't like that, and that's their right. I mean, we live in, a, you know, this is a consumer society. Uh, the market will stand what the market can bear. Um, I could change some of that uh, uh, when I had when I was publishing with Ocean View. Uh, Bob and Pat Gusin were terrific people, lovable uh, publishers, and I, I loved working with them. But their one constant complaint was like, "Joe, you got to make these people more likable." And and the reason we stopped working together was like, "That's not the story I'm telling." I mean, I'm like, I'm not telling you know, you know, like this isn't. I'm not Lee Child. I'm not Lee Child because I can't write as well as Lee Child. But you know, these guys aren't Jack Reacher. They're not coming to town to save the day. They're, you know, they're trying to. You know, some people wake up. I think, and and I don't know. I'm taking this on hearsay, but they wake up and they're like, "Hey, great, another day, man." I I, I'm not one of those people. I wake up and my first thought is, "You got to be kidding me! I'm still still here. I got to do this this again." You know, and within seconds the Pomeranian's barking and somebody's like, the dog crapped in the house, and the kids are like, give me my cereal, my wife's like, I need my coffee, I'll go. And and my and, and the anxiety, my anxiety, I, I have a crippling, I mean I feel really bad anxiety disorder. But within, you know, four minutes of being awake, my, my heart rates at 140. And this is every day. Uh and, and I don't know how, you know, there's the Bob Dylan line. I don't know how it all got started. I don't know what they're doing with their lives. I don't I don't understand how most people uh Lived a life. I do understand how a small faction, a small percentage of people—people people like myself, people who remind me of me—I I understand their plight. And I understand that plight very well, and that's the story I tell. Uh, that plight, unfortunately, does not have a very large pocketbook. They are not the, uh, the most, uh, you know, generous benefactors, and it does not, for a lucrative career, make. But it's the story I'm interested in telling. I'm not. You know, I'm not interested in, story, in telling a story about, you know, the two people who met each other and everything was great and that was fantastic. I'm not interested in writing a cozy fiction with, you know, with, with a cat who solves mysteries uh, by mistake. I'm not interested in writing, you know, I'm just not interested in that. I, I, I'll do some things for money. I'll do a lot of things for money and I'll bend and capitulate and I'll, 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 you know, try to, to, to write to the market for the best I can. But there is a line that you can't cross because you're just, at that point, you're disingenuous. You're not being true to, who you are, and there's a lot of things, but you know, I'm I'm, I'm not foolish. How dare you? you know, that's just that's the one thing I'm not, and I can't I can't do it. So I got to tell the story that's true to me, and the story that uh, you know resonates for me, and, and and
1: yeah, of course, you'll do porn, but you won't <laughs> <prosy. laughs> right, do yeah, There's standards here. Right? <laughs> yeah. I understand that. And <laughs> That statement is so.
0: Much so true. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's much. It really is, and it, it's weird, right? Like it's like in my mind, that statement makes perfect sense, right? Yeah, uh, well, yeah,
1: it I, does for me. Yeah, absolutely. I'll do porn, but I'm cozy. So yeah, porn makes sense. Cozies yeah. don't. Yeah, cozies aren't real. I know what you're saying. Because a lot of times um, we'll have cozy authors, we've done that, and we'll have ones that won't touch sex or violence or swearing, and yet they'll have a murder mystery, and it's just, it doesn't seem real.
0: Yeah, and, it's, and some of these are great, great writers. Mean, I know so many cozy writers who are fantastic writers.
1: Oh, yeah. I just
0: It's just not what I do, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And plus, I always feel there's something missing. If I'm reading a story, or even if I'm watching a story, and there's a murder mystery and stuff. It's not like I need to have, you know, 20 minutes of the blood draining out of the bodies. You know, it just, it's just about got to have some realism so people are real. They do have sex. They do swear. They do make mistakes.
0: Yeah, and it's what you're comfortable, you know, as a writer. Like, you know, you know, if I have a sexual assault in my book, I don't describe it. I can't because I can't. I mean, that's just not something comfortable doing. I, I'm not comfortable putting that on the page. Um, but there are sexual assaults, there are murders, there are and I, I I you know you have to add that that level of verisimilitude of to make the scene uh you know feel real. And and when you get criticisms like, you know, I like this book, but you know the cops swear too much, it's like, well I sw- I swear too much. It's like, well, I'm sorry. Cops don't go around going, oh golly, gosh gee, gosh darn it. It's uh you know, there's another dang damn body. That's not how they talk. That's not how we talk in the real world. <laughs> That's not how people Talk. So, you know, it, it, you get, get right through your characters and the characters I write about are they tend to be mostly, not always, but you know, all Juan is an outlier, but they tend to be uh not college educated, most of them. Um and they tend to talk a lot like my my brother who is not college educated, no longer with us, but I, I base a lot of characters sort of on him because he was sort of this every man to me who was just um just a little uh a little angrier than he should have been. Coming from me that's saying a lot. Uh, but didn't quite understand why he was so angry. I'd like to believe one of the things that education, uh, now that everybody has to get a college education, or, or you know, some of the smartest people I know um, don't have, uh, you know, one. And 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 I'd put them against anybody. But um, one thing you know, the, you know, college does do is that is it helps you with that empathy experience. And it, and it, and it, and it, you know, there's the line in Catcher in the Rye, which is. I named my son Holden, which I was supposed to say, but um, I named him after that book. It's my favorite book ever. But there's a line later on in the book where Mr. Antonelli is, t- is telling him, like, basically the same thing. Like, you don't have to be a college, but it tends to be the ones who go to college tend to leave the records, you know, to be to be read at a later date, or, you know, and I'm paraphrasing. I just find the people who haven't quite gotten there and can't quite express that to be a little more interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, at the end, and the story is people say, that, um, as a writer and, and writers, your characters, each of them have a, have some of you in them, right? Each, each character you write will have a piece of you, maybe small or it may be large. Uh, w- which of these characters in this book has the most of you? Um,
0: well, you know, this, this, I'd like to believe this is, this is a, a, a more original creation. And if you read the book, you'd be like, oh, I can see why you don't be attached to either of these people. Um, but, um, you know, all of them have a little bit of me and, uh, and I'll leave it to, to the reader to decide which parts are me and please pick the better parts. Um, the, the, the character that I get most tied with is, is Jay Porter in the Jay Porter series. And, and Jay very much is me, although I am not Jay. But one of the more sobering moments of my life was reading. I would like to, I, I used to record, uh, mentally record fights that happened to my wife because I'm a writer. And, uh, and I decided to put one of these fights on the page. Jay and his wife. And when I wrote the, the scene out, I wrote exactly the way the fight happened. And I, I waited for everybody to be like, oh, of course he's right. And, and I got so many comments like, God, that guy's a jerk. <laughs> um, it, was like, it was like, all right, well, maybe we got to rethink um, things. But yeah, I mean, I yeah, it just, I, you know, I, I understand the frustration of, of, of life not quite going your way. There's a line from Going Back to Rock and Roll, one of my favorite lines in any song ever from Paul Westerberg. Everything you dream of is right in front of you. Um, and, and, and it's from a song, Unsatisfied. It's a great, great song. And Gene Arnold has this great anecdote about it. If you get a chance to read it, the Rock Critic, um, where he's shouting the rest of that lyric across the snowy highway, liberty is a lie. Um, but I love that. Everything you dream is right, is right in front of you. And I think that's true for most people. We, we see what we want. We know what we want. We can almost touch it, almost taste it, almost feel it. And right when you get to it, your transmission blows and that goes to $900. Um, and, and it's 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 the human condition, and it's how how we're still going as a society with all the frustrations and failures and letdowns fascinates me. And I, and again, this is a mindset because there are plenty of people out there who are who are like, "What do you mean? I'm happy just to see the birds flying." And I'm like, "Well, that's great. We're not gonna have lunch together. I mean, like, I don't, I have nothing to say to you. Like, I don't. Those are the people. Don't you know? That, that that's not of interest to in me. I'm I'm interested in the losers." You know, the down and outs, the failures, the, the downtrodden, the, the depressed, the more. But those who have a sense of humor about it, because you want to at least be entertaining. If you're going to be depressing, at least make someone laugh once in a while. So uh, that's sort of my life philosophy. Right.
1: Well, when you write a book like this, then or any of your books, it sounds like you're very involved in it. You put a lot of yourself into it. And in a way, you're living through the characters as well. I mean, if you're printing out some of your own experiences, or like the fight,
0: I have wanted to do a panel, and I, I, I pitched this panel to Boucher Khan, uh, who, uh, uh has made it clear I'm not, uh, coming back, uh, but, um, several other, several <laughs> other, uh, several other conferences, um, uh, where method writing, you know, you have method acting and there's method writing and you really do, um, you know, when I was writing the J. Porter stuff, yeah, I quit smoking cigarettes years ago. But when I were at Jay Porter, I'd order these fake cigarettes and I'd have my little wool beanie and I'd wear it and and I would I would grow my beard out and I would I'd really try to get into the skin of, of Jay. Um Hillary Davidson, a fantastic writer, talks about when she was writing a book and it was raining in her book, uh, she went outside, you know, in sunny New York City with her umbrella. Um, I think you can get so immersed in the characters and in and, in and, and the story that you really do embody their characteristics. And I think that's the only way to tell a story with you know, to get that, you know, the, the Holy Trinity, the Holy, you know, Latin Trinity, those pathos and logos um, is, to, is, to, is to get into that skin and um, wear it as your own, which, of course, you know, carries some dangers. There's the, a great anecdote about Gillian Flynn having to leave a note upstairs to herself when she was writing, Gone Girl, leave the darkness upstairs. <laughs> because she was going home and, and taking out Amy Dunn on her on her husband, which wasn't fair to him, although I would be personally thrilled because Amy Dunn is sort of my dream girl, but that says more about me than I guess... It does give me flinch.
1: Yeah, that's a different story. But but so, would you putting so much and living through this book, for however long it takes you to write it, at the end of it, when you look back now, all who wonder is out. What what kind of changes did it make in you, or how has it changed you? I, I was surprised
0: by how many people uh, liked it. <laughs> I really <laughs> I really expected this was the book was going to give me the most blowback uh because of some scenes and some descriptions and and, and the, the subject matter that's covered. I really thought I was gonna catch a lot of flack for this. Um and and most of the response has been overwhelmingly positive and and it it speaks to uh, what I really believe is, is kind of what governs the best crime writing. You know, to to have you know the darker it gets, you know it, you need it to get as dark as possible to have that little bit of hope and light shining through at the end. And I'd like to believe that all my books, you know, as dark as they can be, there's that little hope shining at the end, and that's that's what we stay alive for. Um, you know, if there was no chance of hope, there'd, you know, there'd be no reason to wake up. Uh, but there's always a chance today might be the day. There's always a chance today something miraculous, you know, you've never seen before could happen. And I think that's what keeps society going, that's what keeps us humanity, uh, you know, moving. So, and that's definitely true in this book. This book gets probably darker than any other book, but also has, uh, at the very end, a, a glimmer of hope. Um, and I think that's what's resonating, but, you know, who knows? I mean, it's, it's such a weird thing being, uh, being, a, being a writer or uh, any kind of artist. You, you know, you, you write it or it creates to the best of your ability, and then you put it out there and your say is done. It's it's how it's how, you know, the, the, the reader, the viewer, uh, interpreter reacts. And you know, that's that's their right. And that you know, they're right because they're the judge. Um, and you can say, Well, I didn't, you know, wish should this or that, but then you gotta do a better job next time. Uh, so I'm really happy with, with the response so far. Both say my name and uh and all who wanted which came out with, with the new uh Publishing endeavor, uh, Square Tire books it, it have done really, really well, and it's—I owe a great deal to my um, my loyal fan base and readership have come out in droves to support my career.
1: Well, we'll see if we can change that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure I'll, I'm sure I'll say something. I've already
0: said—I've already said something wrong the last year that got me got me uh, in a lot of trouble. I'm, in a, I'm probably in trouble just for even repeating, saying the wrong thing. I'll write to called back up on Twitter, or whatever the hell it's called now um but yeah i mean i i don't i don't have a filter i just don't and, and, and you get older i don't, I don't know Maybe i should learn to get one but i'm almost you know 53 now i'm not oh, I'm now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's half the fun <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, you, may, you may be 85 you can say just about anything um yeah i don't know i don't know and i just i just always would rather you know say it the way it is and say it the way i see it and Somebody's always going to be offended, and I, you know, I'm a, I'm in I'm San Francisco, I'm as left-leaning as they go. and I'm still managing to upset a liberal every other day. So who knows?
1: <laughs> I, I, <laughs> well, with with your characters, I was wondering, and, and, and this this also pertains to maybe music and lyrics. Do you have an internal monologue? Can you hear your characters? Um, is, is that how you create your dialogue, or do you do it other ways? Do you do you have to um, uh, speak it out loud some writers just do that.
0: I read somewhere that like fifty percent of fifty percent of people have an internal monologue in their head. And I'm like, yeah. What? Doesn't everybody walk around with these nonstop voices in their head?
1: Yeah, exactly. And,
0: I mean, my my head never never quiets down. And the one of the I, I I put off meditation for so long was I thought you had to stop the thinking, and that's not what meditation is. Meditation is just simply stay in the center while all the thinking goes around. My head is a constant buzzing. I have to have white noise in my house. I have fans on all over the house. I have white noise machines. I can't have silence because the voices in my... At the 53 I was just on antipsychotic and they took me off because it made me pee my pants. And maybe that is true, but um, I'm not back on antipsychotic and I kind of like the voices. The voices, uh, the voices, uh, you know, they help me create and, and I'm an artist. That's what I do. And if, you know, uh, the occasional and does you know, something you have to do with anti psychotics or, you know, just part of the equation, you know. Uh, in the exchange, you get four books a year from Joe Clifford, so uh, it seems like a fair trade-off uh, to me.
1: And you yeah. never lonely. you yeah. <laughs> <like> only <laughs> a couple times. It was, just, it was
0: enough for me to be like, I don't think I should be taking these pills anymore, Doc. Like, you know, yes, they, they, they took away the voices, but, yeah, yeah, kind of a big
1: price. Well, as long as you're not waking up with blood on your hand or anything like that. So far, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know shoes and and the wife goes missing and all that you know
0: no it wouldn't be the wife be it. That.
1: <laughs> well let's name some of those people no just, yeah and i won't
0: be back at Miami book fair anytime soon yeah uh so um yeah no it's uh you know it's just it's just it's just what i do
1: yeah well, now, when you sat down to write this, what comes first is the characters and then what they're doing. Do you have the idea, the storyline kind of, and then you I like, yeah, the premise. Uh, I like the idea,
0: you know, you, know, miss, you know, missing one. The idea was simply a missing woman and then someone come, com, coming in claiming to be your daughter. That was kind of the start. Uh, and you have that and you go, okay, I can do something with that. That gives me a lot of ideas. And then from there, you, you know, who's going to be supporting this, this cast of characters and, and now there's a half brother, and now I understand, you know, if he came back, the resentment they'd have to build from there, and then, you know, the dad. And there's, a, you know, the very New England, you know, there's something very New England about my stuff. Uh, you know, these my my friend, my friend Mike. He won't mind me telling this story, but he, uh, you know, when he was when he was was growing up, he was, uh, you know, living in a town a town called Fall River. He was driving with his dad, <laughs> driving with his dad, and Mike would have been about 17 or something, and he was driving with his dad, and he goes. Uh, you know, dad, I think I'm going to college. His father points to the family factory and says, where are you going to college over there? <laughs> and I just love that. Like, like, just how much less do you support your child? Uh, but there is that weird, it's just a weird New England thing. Like, um, but you know, here it is, you know, you know, we're, we're, you know 30 years later, sharing stories about our awful fathers in grad school. And that one still always made us laugh. You know, <laughs> where are you going to college over there? Uh, so it just it was a different way of growing up. And, and, you know, it's, but there is still some, Humanity that shows through, like, you know, Brooke's dad, there's, there's a nice, very nice scene where he tries to talk to her. You know, the words aren't coming because he's just not a guy who can express himself verbally like that. But, but you know, he loves his daughter. And I think, you know, you know, my dad loved me and I'm sure Mike's dad loved him. And, uh, and it's, you know, and I'm, I'm watching now. My son who's, who's getting older and then watching it's just, you know, Cat Stevens, right? Fathers and sons, you know, and I know, I have to go away. and, and and sometimes they come back, and it's just this weird, uh, you know. You know, the father becomes the son, the son becomes the father, and, uh, and we do this cycle over and over and over and over again.
1: Do you have a subtext? Is there a meaning to this besides the actual story? Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's. You, you do some are some sins so egregious that we can never amend them? We can never do enough to right what we've done wrong. Uh, and you look at something like, uh, we'll just take a modern, a modern, uh, uh you know, uh, current turmoil, whatever controversy, Louis CK, right? Louis CK, very funny guy. Uh, did something that was pretty awful. Uh, I still think Louis CK is really funny. Um, like, is there anything he can do now to make up for that? And that's, it's a, you know, that's, a, it's a, that's, some pick picking one sort of, you know, then you get to the really, really twisted stuff. Like, you know, guys like Harvey Weinstein, they says, uh, no, you know, like you can't. And then you get to the really, really big monsters in the world. Uh, you know, the ones who start world wars are like, no, oh, I don't know, there's nothing they can do. Uh, but there is, is there a line where a sin is, is, is pretty bad. It's bad, but it's not so bad that their entire existence is negated. And, and, and so that would, this book is that line. And I was trying to find that line and find out, um, if, if, if that line gets crossed and if it gets crossed by other people and can we ever come back and can we ever, or there's something we just do that we have to live with and, and, and that's it. That's it. There's no, there is no walking away and, and you just got to live with it. And, you know, we are. You know, like Walt Whitman said, right, we, we contain multitudes, we're contradictions, we are large. Uh, there's there's, uh, very few people, I think, out there who would want every secret and every rotten thing they've ever said or done made public. You know, there are also a lot of these same people standing there, you know, waving their fingers and clutching their pearls. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's that component to it. So that's the story I was interested in telling. And, and certainly, you know, you're not going to find much more clutch, you know, pro-clutching in, uh, you know, with Salem Witchland. Over there in New England, um, but yeah, that's what I want to look.
1: That's what I'm I don't have any pearls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hopped online. Um, so, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So listen, uh, okay. So let's talk about uh, where people can find you, where people can find sure. the book, and all that stuff. Like, are you doing social media, website? Yeah, I'm on
0: Facebook. That's where I seem to be like the most. <laughs> <laughs> but I just out I got. I just got banned from Instagram this morning. Um, uh, I don't know. For, for all the things I said, I mean, it was such an innocuous comment. I made a comment that I couldn't golf at St Andrews if I sliced, you know, if I hit on the 18th hole, like I'd, s- I'd kill someone because it's so close to the road. And they were like, "That's not acceptable." I'm like, all the things I've said, that's what's getting me banned. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've been banned from all the, the major social media uh, platforms. But Facebook still likes me, and you can find me at geoclifford.com, www.geoclifford.com. And I'm not saying I. Googled myself, but if I had been that desperate, lame, and lonely, and Googled myself, I could tell you I am the number one joke that's on Google. So I'm very easy to find. Uh, yeah. And drop me a line, say hello, or tell me how much you are disappointed.
1: Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Well, well, see if we can get you banned from Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a matter of time. <laughs> I'll just start reporting every post. So, yeah, it just depends. Yeah, <laughs> it won't you. take one. I broke my pearls.
0: I seem to be uh, safely, uh, you know, ensconced <laughs> over there. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah, you know, eventually.
1: So you're writing that many four books a year? So, wow, you're doing pretty quick. Uh, you, you must be working on your next one already then. It's 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 less that I,
0: I I write quick, and more that all I do is write. I have this 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 bone thing from the motorcycle accident, and when I when my bones are working, I play golf. But that's two minutes down the road. Uh, otherwise, I'm in front of this computer, you know, nonstop. It's you know, I control. You know, this is a hubristic element to being a writer. I mean, let's face it, you're, you're a god and you're making... A world in which you can't be hurt. There's a psychology that goes on there, right? Like you're you are in charge. You decide who lives. You decide who dies. You know, your brother doesn't have to die. You know, my next book's about my brother. He's dead, but in my book, I bring him back because I I can do that. Uh, I wouldn't recommend writing a book like a dead brother. Just uh, no. As a um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I write a lot. This is I was given a second chance after they they picked me up off the street in the state of California, wiped my record clean, and said, "Hey, here's your second chance," and I. I believe the least I owe is to make the most of that second chance, and, and to work, and to keep working, and to produce as many quality books as I can. And if I can, you know, speak to one or two people, and, and and it makes a difference in their life, that's what matters. I get a lot of letters from prison. My my biggest readership seems to be prison. Uh, my book Junkie Love, but I'll get a lot of letters from from, from ex-cons or current cons, and uh, who say, you know, hey, you know, Junkie Love's been passed around. Uh, you know the prison, and, and it really changed my life, and that—that and that to me is worth more than than all the money, or a big five publishing or big four, and that's that's not hyperbole. Uh, it really is true.
1: Well, you write standalone novels. You write series. Um, do you do you like one better, and do you find that it's easier to um, you know sell or market? Uh, I love Venice <laughs> Lanning's line
0: about this. He says, <laughs> why you stopped writing series. It's like, cause nobody ever says the 17th book in a series was my favorite. Um, I, I prefer standalones. <laughs> Even the Jay Porter thriller series, which is five books, is really just one book split into five parts. Um, I, I have a hard time with, 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 here's the same story, and here's the character, and now he's coming to town, here's his problem, he's gonna do the same thing, he does everything, and here's the same arc, and now and, and there's, you know, there's comfort and, and familiarity, and that's cool. And, there's, there's guys who do this, and, and, uh, and there's guys who are better than anybody. James Patterson's a, a god at this, and, and this, he's a wonderful human being for all the help he's given, especially in any bookstores. But I, I can't do that stuff. I just can't. It's not, it's not what I do. So um, standalones, or um, if not standalones, at least in the same sort of universe. I mean, all the books sort of exist in the same universe. I'll frequently bring back minor characters that nobody will notice <laughs> just to entertain myself. But, um, yeah, it's one big, you know, Jill Clifford. World, I and mean, if you want to see what that's like, uh, you know, step inside and then take a shower.
1: Oh, right. <laughs> I like taking showers. Hey, listen. So, who have you killed off in the book? Like <laughs> of real life? Come on. There's like someone in your life. You or... want real life? No, okay, I'll say, I,
0: I got to go pick up my kids. This will be the last time I tell you. Yeah. Uh, Paul Manafort, the Paul Manafort, the Paul Manafort you know of as you know the Paul Manafort. My father worked for that guy. My brother married a cousin. Paul Manafort. It's a man. It's a made-up family name. There's only like five ManaFords. They literally, when I say literally, I mean literally killed my dad. They sent him out to a uh, one of the brothers worked a construction site. They knew the job site was contaminated. They decided that it was cheaper to pay the wrongful death suits my uh, death suits my stepmother, who then uh, surprisingly uh, fled town with millions and never talked to us again. And um, and they killed the man. So Jay Porter books are all about my dad and my brother and that. And the last two books, the last book in the Say My Name that's coming out, uh, in the Say My Name novel, I won't say a word, just spells us out, Plains Day. Paul Manafort, Frank Manafort, uh, uh, your, your sons of bitches and uh, your assholes. And I know I get bleeped, but they're two of the worst people uh, face the earth. And uh, I gladly, I gladly kill them in one way
1: or the other. Well, Which, there by, we by have you. it. What can it's I, it's I say? This show. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're always leaving on a happy end. So now the book I just, is, I don't feel like golf ball. All right. The book, All yeah. who yeah. wonder. And the author's <laughs> our guest, Joe Clifford. Thank you for being here. All right. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Thanks, Joe.
0: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me?
1: Yeah. Good night. This is a production of Something With
0: Media. I'll be back.